A reading from the Gospel of John. Truly, truly I tell you all, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the living God has life internally, just so God has granted the Son to have life internally. And God has given the Son authority to render justice because he is the Son of woman. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for uh, rolling with the punches with me this morning. We're so peaceful today. We're just filled with the peace of God. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, my name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. And um, do we have that phone number we can throw back on the screen again? We have just started this new practice. Um, we've got a phone number up on the screen. That's going to be up on the screen during sermons. And you can text that number, honestly, at any time, but especially during service. If you are um, wanting to be in conversation about anything that comes up for you during the sermon or just in general in, um, in our community. So uh, you can text questions, thoughts, um, whatever's coming up for you. If you want it to be anonymous, just send it on over. If you want us to know who you are, um, please do include your name. Um, and that's, you know, that's just going to inform our community in general. But I'm very, very excited. We are starting a new monthly event that's going to happen for the first time this Wednesday. Uh, and it's called Echo. And that name, Echo, it derives from our Wesleyan theology, our understanding that the voice of God, the grace of God, is at work in each and every one of us. And that if we all are speaking God's truth into a space, we can hear it more boldly, more beautifully uh, from the resounding echo of many voices in the room, right? I get to talk a lot into this space. Uh, like, thank you for <laughs> giving me that, um, that grace, that authority to be able to be speaking into this space. But we want to hear from one another. We want um, a whole chorus of voices speaking God's truth to one another. And so on the um, second Wednesday of the month, and this week it will be this Wednesday, the 10th, at 6 p.m. in the living room here um, at Zao House, we will be uh, gathering for a discussion. We'll be talking about um, what's come up for people that people have texted, um, but also just like anything else that's coming up for you theologically, spiritually, um, in community as we do life together. So I'm um, looking forward to joining you all on Wednesday. But yeah, if anything I say today sparks something for you or bothers you or, or whatever, send us a text. Let's be in conversation about it. But today, we had kind of an intense text, right? We are in the Easter season. Easter is not just one Sunday. It's a whole season of the liturgical calendar, uh, meaning that, you know, as we intentionally move through the story of Jesus, the story of God's good creation and the scriptures. We spend time talking, contemplating about resurrection because we 
experience the death and the oppression of the world so much in our lives and so much in the story. And so we are called to contemplate what it means to be in resurrection with Jesus and to take seriously that on the other side of death is life. But what exactly does that mean? I feel like we've gotten a lot of different messages from different communities about what life on the other side of death actually is or could mean or could look like. And we have kind of a scary ending line here. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I promise I will get to that judgment bit. All right. So it's going to seem like I'm going the whole time not talking about it. I promise I will get there. And that's how you know we finally made it to the end. So the beginning of this little speech from Jesus is that the dead will hear the voice of God, right? He says, truly, truly, I tell you all, the hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So what in the world does Jesus actually mean by this? It's easy to sort of take it on its face, right? Like there are dead people, there are living people, living people will, you know, be joined by the dead who are now living. But Jesus talks about life and death in really different ways than we do. Uh, That word, life, to live, that's actually um, how we derive our name as a community, Zao Empei Church. Zao is a Greek word, and it is the Greek word that sources all of these conversations about life. Zao means to be fully alive, not dead, to be among the living. But we see this word Zao, this root word, taking different forms um, all over uh, the Greek Testament. We see it in John 1, where we're introduced to Jesus, who was in the beginning, right? And it says that in Jesus was life. And that, that life word that comes from Zao, to be among the living. In him was life, and his life was the light of all people. So whatever this thing is, this life, Jesus has it from the beginning of time. And it is the thing that, that sources and guides the people of God. Later in Matthew, Jesus is talking, he says, The gate that leads to life is narrow, and few people will find it. So again, we're talking about life in this way that's not, that's not how we think of it. But, but something, something is on the other side of that gate. This thing that is hard to find but is promised to each and every one of us. In Luke 20, Jesus says, Our God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. Now, this is really strange to a lot of us who have been steeped in American Christianity because that idea of eternal life, which is another use of that root word, thou, eternal life, we think of as heaven, right? This like heaven. You were alive on earth, you died, you get eternal life, which is heaven. And now in this strange way, you are both dead and alive. But I think that part of our confusion here is that we are finite creatures. And honestly, we've been like kind of obsessed with immortality. Like, a lot of our storytelling is about how to figure out how to live forever here on this earth. And so we have taken eternal life and very quickly spun it into just an extension of what we have here and now. What we have now as though the worst thing 
that could happen is for us to cease to exist. And so we say the gift that we get from God is to just exist forever, but, you know, in a mansion, right? And so we think of it in these, like, very earthly, human, finite ways that are just about extending our own life pretty much exactly as it is now, but with more resources. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, in Jesus is life. And I don't think that means that, like, you crack Jesus open and there are all the the roads paved with gold, right? Jesus is bringing that life into being. Jesus, who was in the beginning and is now and will be forever, has that life inside of him. And that life, life is our light, is our guiding source. But Jesus is, is, is on the scene trying to get us on board with that life. And even that word eternal, that word eternal, that we, we think we know what that means. In the Greek, one of the, fir- the first definition is indeterminate as to duration. And an, another one is long ago. So when we think of eternal, we think of like ongoing from now until forever. But actually, I want you to think about life as something long ago, something sourced from the beginning, something that is so big, so immeasurable that we can't even determine its length because it is so different from a finite life of humanity. This is what is in Jesus, a life that cannot be constrained by the finite experiences of humanity. It is something bigger. And though we just want to extend our little lives here, that's what we're invested in, Jesus is actually trying to get us on board with a project of life, joining him in the kind of life that has been around since the beginning of creation. Now, one of the definitions of thou, I mentioned, is to be fully alive, to be among the living, and just not dead, which is like a weird thing, right? You don't actually often get those kinds of like opposites right in a definition. Like if you're like, what does it mean to be alive? Not dead. (laughs) But I'm really drawn to this because I think, again, it's an invitation into a conversation about what death is. Because thou, this life that God is inviting us to, to be among the living, to be a part of this life that is in Jesus that has been with us since the beginning is something related to not death. It is specifically the opposite of what it means to be dead. Now we think of death in like these very literal physical terms, but in the way that Jesus talks about it and teaches about it, anything that is not of this spirit of life is death. Anything that is not of that that creative spirit of God that is in us, that we were imbued with at the beginning, anything that is not of that life in us, that life to which we are called, that is death. So I'm going to read that that quote to you again. Truly, truly, I tell you all, the hour is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Jesus is saying, for real, for real, listen, it's coming and it's actually now. All of you who are dead inside, you're going to hear this invitation. And those who are ready, 
will come alive like I am alive. We are not waiting for death to find life. Life is not the thing after death. Life is the thing instead of death. Life is the thing that death cannot defy. And this is before Jesus' death and resurrection, right? So he's inviting us into life in this way that, like, absolutely precedes the cross. Eternal life is an option starting now, starting always. Eternal life is aligning with the life force that is God, that is divine love. Nothing, not death, not the empire, not any force of evil can defeat that life. And we as believers, as followers, as seekers on the way towards life are called to move from death, from the mechanisms of death, from all of those forces of deadening inside us, between us, and in our world into the creative, loving, grace-filled life that has been with us and in us since the beginning of creation. And in case we weren't, like, sure how serious Jesus was about this, he actually did demonstrate quite literally that the thing we're most afraid of, the death of the body, cannot defeat life. That life endures. That death thinks it's the opposite of life, but in fact, it's not. It's not that powerful. And life means anything beyond whatever it is that deadens us inside. Now, this speech that Jesus gives about what it means to resurrect, what it means to come alive out of a place of death, it comes after an important story. Now, this story is taking place near the temple, near uh, a bathhouse where people could come to be cleansed. In that community, people sought cleansing when they felt that they had sinned. People sought cleansing when they um, were in any kind of bodily condition that was outside of the purity code of the community, which meant that anyone who had a chronic illness or disability was also sort of perpetually in that state of what was considered unclean, right? It was a structural barrier to community that people had imposed on anyone experiencing disability or chronic illness. And so there's a man near this pool, not at the pool, hasn't been in the pool, lying on a mat near the pool, who had been ill for 38 years. For 38 years. And Jesus approaches him, and they start to talk. And Jesus asks, Do you want to be made well? Now, this is an interesting question. First of all, I feel like it's very indicative of who our God is, right? Our God is not coercive. Our God's not just going to come in and swoop down on people. Our God comes in and says, do you want this? Do you want to be reconciled? Do you want to be made whole? Because that's really the question at hand. We interpret this, it's sometimes translated as, do you want to be healed? And we interpret this because of our own inherited cultural ableism to mean, do you want to cease having your disability. But Jesus, this word that gets translated as healed, that word is also translated as whole. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be restored? And what comes to mind for me is this reconciliation project of God's, that all of creation made to be unified in its diverse components, made to be in right relationship, is suffering under the wounds of sin under 
those broken parts that tear us from one another. We are all longing to be reconciled to each other, to repair the wounded relationships that are caused by evil, by violence, by any choice that separates us from ourselves, from one another, and from God. We are longing for wholeness, and not a wholeness that comes as an empty piece papering over the violence that is still there, but wholeness that comes from healing wounds, from ceasing and interrupting violence, from eradicating those sources of pain that have caused so much harm. We long to be made whole. Some part of each of us longs for that. But God's not going to assume. God's not going to just make it happen because God knows that in their good creation, part of wholeness is consent. Part of wholeness is collaboration. Part of wholeness is equity. And so Jesus approaches this man and says, do you want this? Do you want to be made whole? He doesn't actually answer. He responds by describing his experience of the wounds, his experience of the gap between him and right relationship, his experience of what keeps him from wholeness with his community. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool where the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me for 38 years. For 38 years, this man has experienced isolation and abandonment, has experienced other people, non-disabled people, using their power to circumvent him, to get in his way, to access the things that he is longing for, that he says he needs. And so he's describing that wound. He's describing what it means to feel alone and fractured in a world of oppression and so Jesus commands him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. Now, Jesus here is technically healing his illness. He's restoring him to status. What Jesus is doing is giving this man the power to renegotiate his relationships and community in a community that has structurally barred him from doing so. Jesus is giving this one person the physical and social ability to be in relationship with community and maybe repair it, maybe make changes, maybe advocate for something different. Because he didn't have the power to do that because he was stripped by those systems that rejected him based on ableism. Now the Bayer project here, God's project for all creation, is making the community whole, is breaking down all the barriers to disabled people. To, and, and breaking down the barriers that everyone who is marginalized has to resources, to, to relationship, to social and religious community. But here, in this moment, in this one-on-one -on -one relationship, Jesus is intervening on just one point of contact and giving this man more agency and autonomy over his, his relationship to community. He's giving this man the power to become well, to engage in his, in his wholeness, right? Because wellness is wholeness. It's not being healed from physical affliction. And people's ableism prevented him from full participation in the community. But can a man by himself be made whole to all of creation? No. 
This is why we say here, no one is free until we're all free. And so, this man is one piece in a broken, fractured cosmos. And so he now gets to choose whether he participates in making everything whole. Jesus, at this point, gets kind of lost in the crowd. They get separated somehow. And the religious narcs come out. These are the, like, super dedicated religious authorities who are very highly invested in the rules. They really think that the rules are the things that give them right relationship with God. Not that the rules are our guideposts, our tools for facilitating a right relationship with God, but that the rules themselves are what protect right relationship. And so they become really fixated on compliance. Now this is understandable. They're also middle management of the Roman Empire. They are the ones kind of standing between those most oppressed and those most in power. And they have decided that what makes them the most safe is compliance. What has made them the most safe is following the rules of the empire, so it only follows that what makes us safe with God is following the rules of God. They have lost their sense of what right relationship is. They have misremembered what wholeness is even possible. And so they settle for something far less. They settle for survival. They settle for compliance. So these narcs, They're not just satisfied with compliance themselves. They feel like the only way to keep everyone safe is to control everyone else, is to be the cops of religious compliance, to say, hey, you better follow the rules. And they've really lost the context. They've lost the purpose of the rules, what the rules are for to facilitate wholeness and healing and right relationship. They've lost all of that in favor of something so much smaller, the rules themselves. And so these narcs come out, And they find this man who has just been physically healed and is walking around with his mat. And they say, hey, rules, it's the Sabbath. You can't walk around with that mat. Put that mat down. And the dude is like, some guy, I don't know, man, some guy told me to walk around with my mat. (laughs) He's, He's following the instructions, the like, direction Jesus pushed him in to become whole, to to seek out relationship and to make it right. Some guy told me, the first guy who helped me in 38 years, the one who responded to my needs and desires, the one who showed me what wholeness could feel like, told me to walk around with my mat. And so these religious authorities are like, ew, who's this guy? He's not following the rules. He's telling people to break the rules. This is the bad guy. So then they go find him. Or, well, but they're looking. Um, This guy actually doesn't remember. He's like, I don't know, it was some guy. He he can't identify Jesus. So anyway, the guy who is walking around with his mat meets up with Jesus again. And Jesus is like, look at you. All right, you're like up and walking around. Here we go. Like, it's game time. Now is when you like do your, like, be integrated into community. You have an opportunity here. But Jesus also offers some advice. He says, don't don't go and sin now because that could cause further wounds to your community. And I, I believe that Jesus is sort of alerting him, right? Like, you have been the victim of ableism, of this like very deep systemic wound in your community for 38 years. I'm inviting you to be made whole. I've given you a status, like I've, I've, 
given you the opportunity to engage with status and power that you haven't had for 38 years, don't mess it up. Don't continue to re-wound your community because that could be so much worse. Because Jesus actually knows that the wounds, the way that wounds work, they cause extreme violence on the victims. But it's, it's a different kind of soul death that happens for the perpetrators. And so Jesus says, it could be worse. <laughs> you have experienced what it means to be a victim of oppression. You could be a perpetrator now. His exact words, where does it say? Oh, it's not, it's not in this text. But he says, go ahead and, and live your life, but don't sin again because it could be worse. You could, be, you could become a perpetrator. And so what does this man do? This man who has been healed, restored to status in his community, given opportunity to wield power in a fundamentally different way now, he immediately goes back to the narcs and sells Jesus out. Like right away. Right away. The man went away and told the religious narcs, my translation, that it was Jesus who made him well. Therefore the narcs, my translation, started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. So this question, do you want to be well? This story sheds entirely different light on it because there is death all around. And the people in Jesus' day are really turned around what death and despair is. They've mistaken what death and despair is. They think it's disability. When Jesus knows it's ableism. And how many corollaries are there to our day? right? In that time, the religious authorities thought that death is what resulted from not following religious rules. When Jesus knew that death is actually confusing compliance with love, they thought that death was what the Roman Empire could do to their bodies. Jesus knew that it's what the, the spirit of dominating empire and hierarchy, and power, and, and privilege can do to a person's soul. That is death. And we see that death gripping these religious authorities. And they say, it's Sabbath, it's Sabbath, it's against the law to heal. They're not aware, they can't even connect to the abundance right in front of them. This person from whom they have been separated by their own sin for 38 years has come home. What would it be like if we understood this healing story like the prodigal son. We've been separated for so long. Religious authorities, <laughs> not by your own power, but by Jesus' power, you have brought, been brought home to your kin. You have been brought home to this man who you have abandoned for 38 years, and you have an opportunity to be reunited in love. It should be a celebration. But they miss all of that. They miss the whole opportunity to be made whole, healed, reconciled to one another because they are so fixated on compliance. Because the empire has taught them that obeying the rules and not getting in trouble and complying with authority is what keeps them alive. But they're dead inside. They have closed themselves off to life by trying to survive. They have thrown life itself under the bus. They also get real mad that Jesus is walking around saying God's his dad. Because they're like, that feels pretty disrespectful. <laughs> and again, they're so committed to that hierarchy. 
right? That's Jesus getting out of his place, especially as a likely illiterate peasant day laborer is saying, like, oh, yeah, that's my dad. (laughs) I'm a child of God. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We studied. We went to school. We got tapped on the head by the Roman Empire. We got the go-ahead. You don't get to engage with this kind of familiarity. And if you do that too much, we're all in trouble. And this is the logic of empire that says that only some people have access to power, to divine power, to religious authority, to the gifts of God. And so they start getting really worried about Jesus, and they start trying to control him too. Again, it's not out of, like, malice. It's out of terror. They are trying to survive because they think that's all they can aspire to. And their desire to survive in the narrowest sense has led to an even greater death, a much greater death. But after this story, Jesus clarifies, listen, for real, already, right now, and in the days to come, you'll hear my voice. You who are dead, (laughs) you who are dead inside, you will hear my voice. You will hear an invitation, and you have a choice. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to come alive with me? Do you want to leave the grave behind you? Do you want to be reunited with your kin? Do you want to be well? Now, Jesus is confident here. He's like, yes, it's going to happen, and the dead will hear, and the hear will, the, those who hear will live. Jesus has a lot more confidence than I do most days <laughs> because I'm like, I feel like I've heard an invitation from Jesus, and I'm not sure I always choose life. You know that phrase, wake up and choose violence? It feels very apt. Did you wake up and choose violence? Now, that idea that we could be petty and cruel, that we could wake up and make that choice, that's actually like really apt. We do, we choose life or death each moment, each day. Eternal life is not something you get a ticket to by saying the sinner's prayer and you're good to go for your golden streets and your mansion. Eternal life is something, is a a stream of creative love, the, the sourcing of all creation that we can choose to connect to, tap into, expand, and and pour out into the world. Or we can choose to disconnect from because it's too scary. And I'll tell you it is, it is terrifying. Because the logic of empire did not just for me the Roman Empire in that time, right? The logic of empire is here and now. We talk about this a lot at Zhao. That empire, those forces of domination in this world, they have continued on that same tactic that compliance is what gets us survival. And survival is better than life. We need to identify those lies that we have been told by the world around us. We need to discern which places in our life, in our little petty human lives, are actually sources of death. And where the divine is breaking in and inviting us into that stream of creative light. Where are you dead inside? Where is our creation turning itself off from love and connection, trying to survive 
under systems of domination and evil. Those mechanisms of death, they exist out in the world. They exist in empire, in systems of oppression, in hierarchy, in dominance. They also exist in our interpersonal relationships when we choose violence instead of love, when we choose to survive or to give ourselves an advantage rather than investing in trusting mutuality and relationships. And those mechanisms of death, they have worked their way into our very being. Generational trauma, inherited trauma, our nervous systems are shaped by those mechanisms of death. Our self-hatred, our terror, our self-rejection, these are all forms of that violence which is death. But none of that, none of that is powerful enough to overcome the life that is sourced inside of you, that is the same life of Jesus, that is the light of the people. That is our sourcing and our guide. Inside of you is something that cannot be defeated by any of those mechanisms of death. We choose to submit to them. We can choose to walk away from them too. And that life inside of us, it is strong enough to overcome any mechanism of death. And Jesus showed us the way, not only in his literal death and resurrection, but by every choice of his life to deny and defy empire, interpersonal violence, and self-rejection. And instead, live abundantly in the creative grace of God. So what do we choose? Do we want to be well? Are we willing? Are we willing to anchor ourselves to the life that is inside of us, the gift, the birthright of being a child of God, being a part of God's good creation? Are we committed enough to that? to partner with it to overcome all the mechanisms of death in our world, in our community, and in ourselves. It can be so tricky because the values of empire have confused us and turned us all around. What is called life in the empire is death in the kingdom of God. What feels like death in the empire, multiplicity of identity, generosity, trust and vulner vulnerability, those things are terrifying under empire. They feel life-threatening. But eternal life in the kingdom is a life of choosing vulnerability, choosing trust, choosing healing, choosing life to be made well. The empire is a grave. Capitalism is a grave. The closet is a grave. Fear is a grave. Self-hatred is a grave. Do we choose the grave? Or do we want to be made well? Do we choose the approval of middle management instead of choosing the bringer of life, choosing to challenge and confront mechanisms of death? Becoming whole means following the voice of Jesus out of those very familiar survival systems, situations, relationships, personal patterns, anything that keeps us in the grave. But on the other side of that, on the other side of that is life. And it is terrifying, but it is putting trust in our capacity to live beyond. 
our capacity to look at the ocean and see a road into freedom. Our capacity to look at the grave and see a, a gateway into new life. Our capacity to look at empire and see the possibility of kingdom and start living as though that is possible instead of just acquiescing to survive what's in front of us. Now, I promised that at the very end I'd get to that bit about judgment. There is the part where Jesus says those who have done good will experience the resurrection of life and those who have done evil, the resurrection of judgment. We internalize judgment from the empire. The empire's characterization of judgment is abandonment, rejection, and forever death, right? But if we are understanding that the empire has been lying to us about what brings life and what brings death, then we can look at judgment in an entirely different way. In the kingdom, judgment is laying bare harm. In the kingdom, judgment is truth-telling. In the kingdom, judgment is accountability. In the kingdom, judgment is hearing how your behavior, your choices impact the people around you. In the kingdom, judgment involves grief. In the kingdom, judgment is about being heard. In the kingdom, judgment is not the end. In the kingdom, judgment is the necessary accountability, the necessary healing toward wholeness. We cannot be made whole while we are still engaged in violence. We cannot be whole while we are still victims of violence. And so there is good in us that is already resurrecting into new life. But the next step towards resurrection for the evil that we have done and the evil inflicted upon us is accountability. And so we will resurrect from the grave of shame, from the grave of hiding, from the grave of being silenced about what we have experienced or what we have done. And we will resurrect into the new life of truth-telling and accountability because fear of accountability is just another grave. And the empire is happy to lay in that grave forever. But we know that healing can only come through accountability. And so I want you, I want you, when you ever think about judgment out of the mouth of Jesus, I want you to just try a thought experiment replacing that word with accountability, with truth-telling, with hearing from victims. And I want you to remember that that is not the end but a necessary step towards reconnecting with life. Do you want to be well? Do you want to be made whole? What are the graves that you willingly lie down in every day? Time for some accountability, <laughs> some tr truth-telling, some honesty. And you may be both perpetrator and victim, right, of your own self-loathing, for instance your own self-doubt. So our call, our call as followers of Jesus is to move out of that grave, to leave that grave behind. And the promise is that we are fully capable, made to do so by the life 
the thou, the living, that is in Jesus from the beginning of time, that has been put in us, in our body, and that is in each and every one of us, threaded throughout all creation. And no grave, no grave can hold us forever because the life of Jesus is in each and every one of us, and it will rise and rise and rise again. And in that, all things are possible. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, we trust, maybe just in our heads, that your goodness can overcome all things. Make that truth come alive in our bodies. Help us to remember what it means to be made in life for life. Let us not settle for the mechanisms of death, not in our world, not in our community, not in ourselves. But God, may we choose life. May we choose wellness, wholeness. May we trust in the promise that we are capable because we are made in your image. And may we connect, tap into, be flooded by the power of your overwhelming life and love. May we choose to participate. May we become free by helping to make us all free. Amen.